You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. And you're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host, Brett McMillan. Hello, welcome to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. My name is Brett McMillan. Glad that you could join us for this May 29th episode as we welcome Dan McLaughlin to the program. Ever since we knew that we were going to have a podcast, I knew that Dan was a must-get for the program, and he certainly delivered in his about, oh, 50 minutes or so that we spent together down at spring training just talking about his career favorite moments and calls as a Cardinals play-by-play man, stories about famous Cardinals, including uh, Stan Musial and others, some great, great nuggets from Dan's time in the booth. And of course, I learned that the first time he was offered the Cardinals TV play-by-play job, he said no. He'll tell you about that story and why he said no and why he certainly is glad that they didn't take no for an answer at the time. Before we get to Dan, want to let you know that we're looking to kick off the summer with teachers here at the ballpark. Teachers Night is Monday, June the 11th, and with the purchase of a special theme ticket, you can receive a teachers-inspired Cardinals shirt. Get your tickets now at cardinals.com theme. I'm going to get out of the way and let you hear from Dan McLaughlin, the guest on today's Cardinals Insider Podcast, back with you on the other side. Well, as promised, the television play-by-play voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Dan McLaughlin, with us. Dan, uh, thanks for the time. I've been looking forward to just talking about your career, and it's been neat to get to know you because you really do love this team. I, I do. It's It's been a dream come true. I always wanted to be a broadcaster, uh, much less do it for the Cardinals. I, you know, I always saw, Brett, that if I could get to a college gig of some sort, then I was like, man, I made it. You know, that that's really cool. And I, I was around at the right time uh, with the explosion of cable television. Uh, people believed in me, um, and it just it all fell into place. So I, I've been really, really lucky. Now you're a South St. Louis guy, right? I am. I am a South St. Louis Hoosier, as I like to say. I'm very <laughs> proud of it. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm very proud of it. So I imagine for you, the broadcast bug probably started young, because like most of us in this town who grew up interested in this, it, it has a lot to do with Jack Buck. Take sure. me back to those summer nights for you in South City and just uh, how it got going. Yeah, I mean, anybody that, like you said, that grew up in St. Louis, you you appreciated Jack Buck and you, you grew to, to love Mike Shannon too and uh, Joe and, and all the people that have come along and, and been behind that microphone. So, you know, my summer months and summer days were spent playing wiffle ball in the backyard and, and like a lot of kids or shooting hoops or swimming. And uh, and then at night I played baseball. I played baseball through high school and college, and uh, that's how I was able to get to uh, school to learn what I do now. But um, yeah, anything that had to do with baseball and and just having a chance to put on a glove, play catch, have my dad throw grounders to me, whatever. My brother, my brother and I are very very close. My dad's been deceased for a long time, but when we think back to 
um, you know, just the, the better times that we had with uh, our family. I think baseball has always been a big part of it. Do you remember when it clicked for you of like, oh, this is kind of what the mechanics of this sound like? Or, you know, as you're listening to those voices, is, is there a time where you thought, all right, here's what I kind of need to start doing in order to be where I want to be? Not really. Uh, there wasn't like that aha moment. It was uh, just repetition and practice. You know, I uh, worked at KMOX when I was in college. I was on the air there when I was 20. And so... My first job on the air at KMOX was literally uh, taping the, the morning sports for Saturday and Sunday. And so a lot of times West Coast games didn't get over till 1 or 2 in the morning. And so I would just practice, 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 practice. And if I messed up something, I'd start it over. And it wasn't like the days of digital now um, to where like you could just stop and say, okay, I want to redo that, take it out. It, we were real to real. And so when I used to edit, it was literally with – uh, tape and a, and a razor, you know, and so if I didn't get it clean for the three and a half minutes I was doing sports, I would just start over. And I, I was the engineer at KMOX for a number of events, whether it be blues hockey, Mizzou basketball, uh, certainly Cardinals baseball. And um, I always tried to listen to those guys. And if there was something that I liked that they did, I probably emulated that in my broadcast in some form or fashion, whether it was laying out for a crowd or the emphasis on a great play or the anticipation of the buildup of a great play. All those kind of things I learned by just listening. And um, you have no other choice when you're an engineer but to listen because you can't miss commercial breaks. And if you do, you get fired. So I didn't want to get fired. So I I just used to listen to those guys all the time and and try to take the best parts of what they do and incorporate what what I think is – is good radio or good TV? How'd you end up at KMOX? Because twenty on the air, especially at that kind of station, I mean, that's that's a remarkable, remarkable thing. I, I was at Lindenwood University, and there was a guy named Casey Van Allen that, uh, if you back in that time frame, listen to KMOX or their affiliated FM stations, he was always doing the commercial work for them. He was an unbelievable and greatly uh, talented man in terms of editing. And so at Lindenwood, they gave you the opportunity in the mass communications department to take a class with Casey to learn how to edit. And uh, so I took it there, and I uh, was down there one night, and I got pulled out of the uh, class by the general manager at the time, the eventual GM and program director at the time. His name was Tom Langmire, and he was influential in my career, and he had called out to Lindenwood and said, are there any young guys that would want to you know, be a producer here? And I was the sports director at KCLC 89.1 and uh, was calling every possible game that I could and and doing weather and news and all the different things, DJing out there. And they said, yeah, talk to this Dan guy. So they pulled me out, interviewed me in the class, and that's how I got the job at KMOX. So I never was an intern there, but I got just incredible, uh, invaluable experience that uh, I'll never, ever forget. I mean, it just, it opened up doors for me that um, I'm so thankful for because when I got to KMOX, I was around Jack Buck and I was around uh, Randy Carricker, who's in St. Louis and does an un- unbelievable job on talk shows and Mike Kelly, who was doing Missouri basketball. So I-, I was around all those guys and they taught me, they they, they taught me a lot of, of what was expected of the job, but I also, the, the expectations weren't real high, but I put a lot of high expectations on myself to get more involved. And so the reason I got on the air, and I, I know that I'm 
kind of wandering around here, no, but it's a podcast, do. so yeah, why not? That's the point. Yeah. Um, I was setting up a remote for Joe Micheletti and Ken Wilson over at Scott Trade Center, then the Keel Center for a hockey game, and there was a uh, protest going on outside near City Hall, and I always carried a recorder, so I went and covered that and got sound from it, interviewed the people, wrote the story, sent it down, and it was a lead story on KMOX, and no one else had it. And so they're like, who is this guy? And that's how I kind of started getting a name that, hey, man, this guy works, and he, he's willing to work and put in the work and get after it. I mean, hey, what do I know? And you, you know a whole lot more, and you've been in this business a long time, but you know, I, I'm not that far out of school. But when people always ask me, I say, be a good storyteller. And for that exact reason, yeah. because look what it did for you. I mean, you, under, you understood... Sure hey, I got to go cover this, and I got to understand what I'm even looking for. But that kind of translates even to what you do today. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, in, in doing baseball, um, radio or TV, but I, I think especially now with TV, and especially with the younger generation of fans, everything is at their fingertips. So if they want to go find out a guy's war or his you know, FIP or his average or his RBI, whatever, they can find it on the Internet. So... The thing that I've got to do, and I do try to do this, is, and I don't do it all the time, but intertwine a story or two. It could be historical, because I love the Cardinals and I love the history. Um, it could be something going on with a player. For instance, Dexter Fowler was telling me a story today about, I, I said, why do you catch the ball at your chest? Why don't you catch it up here? And he's saying, well, when I was 11 years old, I was a catcher. My dad made me the catcher. I was the only kid that could throw out kids at second base, so... Um, I was the catcher. That's how I was taught to catch, and I used two hands, and they've tried to change me in the pros, and I won't do it. Well, I can make a half inning out of that. I, I can take something with that and incorporate it and show it, and, and, and I think it's interesting. So it, more so than ever, back to the original point, I think we, we have to tell stories of these guys because people want to know about the fans, and I've got to fill some way, somehow, three and a half hours of a baseball game that might have – uh, a handful of minutes of actual action, so which is the beauty of the sport. But you got to make it entertaining, which is what I try to do. And I, 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 this is my tangent that I go off on. I think we have forgotten that this is entertainment. It's sports, but it's entertainment. It should be fun. It should be something that people go home and it's a way to get away from everyday life and enjoy themselves. Yeah, it uh, it is entertainment. I was thinking about that the other day. That. And it's crazy. This is my first spring training. We're recording this uh, down here in Jupiter. And there's so much that goes into it. And it's easy to get bogged down in that. But I, you know, when you talk to the players, it's a game. And it's something yeah. that, that they do enjoy. With that Fowler bit, you know, you're talking about just getting that story. And now you've got it. But how does that actually get on the air? Because I imagine that the producer, do they have to know that you're going there? Or do Sometimes. they follow you? Sometimes they do. Um Certainly, they. Uh, I will tell them a lot of times. Hey, do we have any, you know, reads that I need to do? Can I tell a story after this at bat? Yeah, sure. Or I'll I'll tell the guy, the producer. I'll say, hey, if Fowler catches a ball, uh, don't do anything because I want to do something on that. I, I want to talk about it. And and if you can cue it up, and show what I'm talking about, that's beneficial. So we all have to be somewhat in sync to trying to do a live event that's totally unexpected and you have no idea what's about to happen. But I do try to keep little mental notes in of, of what to do 
um, and trying to incorporate those types of stories. How often is that producer in your ear? All I, the time. I've heard Jim Hayes before say that, <laughs> you know, he, he and I agree. I think you're the best guy going in the game Thank right you. now. You never step on the moment. You're fun to listen to. I grew up listening to you. But that's, that's the you're, thing. You're making me feel old here, Brett. Jeez. <laughs> I'm not just blowing smoke either. I really I enjoy listening to you on, on TV. But Jim always says that he's so good because people don't know what's going on it's constant. in his ear. How do you do that? Well, that's a good question. You know, that was one of the tests I had at Fox Midwest. So when I, when I got hired at Fox, they gave me five features to show what I could do. I actually walked in the office. A friend of mine said, you need to go talk to this guy, Tom McLaughlin. Not spelled differently, no relation. And I walk in and he started laughing. He's like, man, I thought you were uh, a 45-year-old man. I've been listening to you on Blues Intermissions. And, and he said, uh, and he wrote down the name of a cameraman, and the name of an editor, and he threw it at me and he said, you got five to show me what you can do. Get out of my office. Except it was even worse than that with some cuss words and stuff like that. So it was, he was, he's really kind of a gruff guy at that time. And he's, he turned into a, and he's deceased, but he was a huge influence in my career. He took a chance on me. And so they said, okay, here's your features. The first one I did was on Jack Buck. I got nominated for an Emmy. And they said, do you think you could intro this stuff on the air? And I said, yeah, of course. I mean, I had no idea if I could or not. I was just like, sure, why not? Because I'm going to try to do anything I can. And so I go on the air and uh, they're like, okay, Dan's here. And Dan, uh, uh, you know, you have a story on Mark McGuire and batting practice and what it's like. Well, that's right. You know, I was I talked to Dave McKay, his personal batting practice pitcher. And here's what uh, Dave does on a daily basis to whatever. And I threw it to the piece. And they were in my ear, and I don't remember anything about it. I was like, did I say anything right? I, I don't know if this is right or what, you know. And I just did it. And for whatever reason, it was I was able to do it. And then they started putting me on, like, high school play-by-play and stuff like that. And those guys were always in my ear, but yet it never – just never really affected me. I mean, every once in a while in, in the summer, especially if I get tired or I'm worn out, it's a long game and some guy's in my ear and I'm trying to concentrate, it's hard. But you just – you learn to deal with it and you, you just do it. Was play-by-play always kind of the dream job? Yes. Even with starting with those features, you want you knew you wanted to be in the booth. Well, I turned it down initially. I turned down the Cardinal job initially. I know I'm an idiot. I got to hear that story. Yeah. So they uh, they came to me and and they said uh, next year we're gonna and I was doing blues hockey for um, for Fox and radio stuff and whatnot and they said hey next year we need. Um, we're, we're going to be expanding these pregame shows on the road too. And we want you to host it and it's your show. So basically I, I produced it, wrote it, uh, got all the guests for it, hosted it. And they said, and you're going to do the play by play. Cause we can't afford to put two people on a plane and hotel rooms and stuff. And I said, I'm not ready for it. And they said, well, think about it. And I said, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't think I'm ready for it. I don't think I should do it. And they said, we don't, and I, they let me sleep on it. And then they came back and said, look, if you want to work here, this is what you're going to do. And I said, okay. And they threw me in the fire and, you know, it was, it was hard. I mean, I was so young um, and working with guys that have been doing it for a long time and certainly following, you know, Jack and Mike and, and Joe and, and the, the Buck name. I mean, it, it's hard, you know, I'm a new guy. So trying to have people get used to you and ingratiate yourself to the community is not an easy thing to do. And so um, my first few years are very hard, but I just kept plugging along and here I am coming up on 20 plus. You're a Lindenwood University guy. You mentioned it. And I don't want this to turn into a Lindenwood commercial, <laughs> but I am too. And it's a great program and a story I've 
heard many times, and I don't know if a lot of folks outside of LU know it, but you did a game with Jack Buck, and you walked in with a bunch of stats. This is yeah. what I've heard. And then you take it from there and, and tell me what happened, because I think it's a pretty neat story. So uh, I had a relationship with Jack because I did a Sunday night football show with him, and I'd been around doing the games on TV, and this is like my second year, maybe third year, something like that. And Mike Shannon had his annual night at the races, which is a big fundraiser that he did. And uh, the weekend before, I was in uh, L.A. to do the Cardinals and the Dodgers, and I always had little notes on all these guys and tidbits and stuff. And so we have a rain delay in the game, and Steve Uline of Bud Sports said, you know, Jack, who do you want? And he said, call, call Dan. He goes, okay, that's what I was thinking. Let's get Dan down here to fill in for Mike because they were not going to cancel the game, but we knew we were going to have a really long delay, and Mike had to go. So they said, do you want to do it? I was like, yeah, I'll be down there. I was doing yard work. I had to shower up, get down to the ballpark. I walk in, and I said, oh, okay, Mr. Buck, you know, I'm, I'm ready to roll. He said, uh-huh. He said, what are those kids? Uh, what are those kid? And I said, well, these are my, these are my notes. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go. Oh, yeah, these are great. Let me look at those. Uh-huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure, this is great. And then he tears them up into about 1,000 pieces. And he said, kid, that's not the bleeping game as he threw them into the uh, trash can. And then he pointed out at the field. He said, that's the bleeping game. Describe what you see. And he walked out of the booth. And he was do-do-do-do-do-do. And he went back and took a nap. And I was there by myself. And then he came in and, and we did the game. He joined me. But he let me get like accustomed to it and just get a feel for it. But it was a great lesson in radio, which was, you know, you're the – you're the eyes and ears of those that can't be there. And and so I never forgot that. And I, I always try to do this too. Now, again, anybody that's listening to this knows I can get a little goofy too, and I have a very dry sense of humor, But um, and we do get off track and off beat and stuff, but I always do try to stick to the game. The game is the game, and that's why people are tuning in. That's what they want to hear about, and, and that's what they want to see. So I try to stick to the game. But uh, at that time, when um, my guts wound up coming back to my stomach after they had <laughs> exited, uh, it, things calmed down for me. But it was uh, nerve-wracking, but yet one of the more valuable experiences I've ever had. I want to say it's Randy Carricker who once told me that Jack Buck could have been Johnny Carson if he'd wanted to. He was hysterical. What I mean, for those who never met him, and I never did, wish I could have, just what was he like as a, as a man? Like, we all got the picture as a broadcaster, and that was a little a slice of it, but just the guy when you were sitting there talking with him. Well, he, he was incredible, um, and he was very, and I'm very thankful. He was very good to me, very nice to me. Um, I remember coming down to Jupiter and doing my first uh, television game, and I had taken an overnight flight from Vancouver through Washington, Seattle, and then overnight to Jupiter, and I'm worn out, and I was doing the blues, and I get ready to do this game, and he and Shannon threw the – they were in the booth, two booths down, and there was glass, and they point at me laughing because they knew how nervous I was. Uh, but if I ever went to Jack, and I – you know, he was incredibly, incredibly helpful. Um, to give you an idea of what he was like – at KMOX, if you were hosting Sports Open Line, that usually was the sports show would be at like 6 o'clock. And by that time, the hustle and bustle of the station, a lot of people that were full-timers, you know, would go home. That Their day was done. And the cleaning crew would come in. And you can imagine the cleaning crew, probably not real rich, right? They don't have a lot of money, but they're working. And they would somehow always know when Jack was in the building because they would gravitate towards the sports office 
And then when you go into the studio, they gravitate there to, to take out the trash and empty the trash cans. And when they would do that, Jack Buck would reach in his pocket and there's 50 bucks, there's 100 bucks, there's a couple hundred bucks for somebody. I mean, every time, every time. And he'd always say, kid, let's get some pizzas. You know, okay, Jack, what do you want? Uh, you know, whatever you want. Let's, and knowing that he probably wasn't even going to have a slice of pizza, but, you know, he's like, you know, call whatever and get us a couple pizzas. Okay. Sounds good. And you, I, first, the first time I did it, he got mad. So he gave me a hundred bucks and, um, I gave the, the guy, the pizza delivery man, you know, whatever it was, 20 bucks for the pizzas. I gave him a hundred bucks and he's like, okay, here's 80. And I gave him like 10 bucks for a tip or something or 20, whatever. It was, it was a good tip. I'm thinking, man, that's really nice. And he said, what are you doing, kid? And he said, uh, I said, well, here's your change. He said, I never want to see that again. You either keep it or you give it to him. And that's how he would do it all the time. He's very generous with his money and with his time and with his expertise. And so it does give you an idea of the kind of guy that he was behind the scenes. There was no fanfare for it, but yet he was willing to, and he always would talk to people too. I mean, everybody who's a legend walking in the, the, you know, hallway, He'd always stop and say hello to everybody and talk and had a moment for everyone. And I'll, I'll just never forget that. Something I've always heard about Jack is that he just loved Is loved. this boring you yet or no, what? Oh, my goodness. No, okay. I could talk about this stuff all day. I've always heard that he just loved St. Louis. I mean, take even the Cardinals out of the equation. He was high on St. Louis and the potential. And you're a St. Louis guy. Jack wasn't born and raised, but, you know, obviously an adopted St. Louis and... How important do you think that is in what you do every day? Not to say that someone from St. Louis couldn't do the job or sit in the booth, because others have, but I imagine it's got to be helpful to understand what the team means. Yeah. I, I, most guys, that, at least from what I've seen, most guys that do a professional team aren't from that hometown. I mean, it's very hard to get your hometown team for whatever reason. You know, either their spots aren't opening, and, and usually guys keep them for a long time. It's not always the case, but it's the case uh, for a good amount of the time. And uh, to do your hometown team is, it's just different. It's hard to explain. I mean, there's a connection there where I grew up and Ozzie Smith was my favorite player growing up. And I've said this when I've done evenings with the Cardinals in, in uh, Bush Stadium. And we do those, they're really fun. But I, I remember saying, I was on stage with Ozzie and I said, you know, not only uh, was he a great player, but the thing that makes it the best is that, and I said, I'm, I don't mean to make you feel old, Ozzie, but I said, you're... You were my favorite player, and it's awesome to have your favorite player live up to the expectations of what you thought it might be. And and he's done that for me. He's just been incredible to me. He's always, always gracious with me. Um, and so those kind of things come to mind, you know, like little little things like that. I do get behind the microphone. I'll throw on my headset, especially when we're at home, and it's opening day, and I'm watching, and I watch it just like the fans. I, I got a quick thing I do. I say, welcome to – you know, opening day, we're on, you know, Fox Sports Midwest. I'm here with Joe Blow, and uh, now let's go down to the PA announcer and John Hewlett and take in the festivities. And I sit back and watch it just like everybody else because we cover it just with the cameras, leave it open mic and, and go. And I'm like, man, this is, this is cool. You know, this is really neat. This is something that I always wanted to do, and I cannot believe that I'm actually here doing it. And so it's not lost on me. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's important to me that I try to do a good job the best I can. Some people like it. Some people don't. But I, I will tell you this, no matter what, I give you what I got because I love the Cardinals. I mean, I just love the franchise and I, I love what it means to the city. It's, it's, you know, to me, when you say you're from St. Louis, you travel around the country, you're like, oh, you, you like the Cardinals? It's like, yeah. 
You know, <laughs> is the sky know, blue? Yeah. It's like, you know, you got Clydesdales, Budweiser, you got the Cardinals, you got a neat zoo and the, you know, and then it's back to the Cardinals and, and, and that's not lost on me. It's, it's a pretty cool deal. What's the thing, you know, about the franchise and, and I've been with the team now for about a year and there are things that I've begun to realize just being on the inside, you see different personalities like you talked about with Ozzy. I mean, you get to see he's a great person as much as he was a great fielder. What's the thing that as you got more engrossed in the job, you started to realize that there was even another level or maybe was different than you thought, you know, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it might be? Well, there's a responsibility to the job, not just in St. Louis, but I think when you represent um, any franchise. But in St. Louis, it's different just because it's such a uh, part of the fabric of the community. And so when I realized it was like doing charity functions, you realize um, the importance of being able to offer some tickets or go on the field. And it's like an experience, you know, and people are putting up big money to do these kind of things. That's that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if I'm answering your question properly, but it it, it gets your attention in, in that regard. Um, and I think just what it means, the fact that there's 3.4 million people coming through the turnstiles. I mean, that's not lost to me. And, and this is no disrespect to any franchise, but we go to visiting ballparks and there's 15,000 people, maybe, or 20,000, and they're announcing 30. And you know there's 20,000 in the ballpark. We know and on a Tuesday night against a lesser team, you might look in the upper deck and there's, you know, a bunch of people. And on weekends, it's absolutely packed in the summers, uh, summertime. So you, you do see that and you're like, this is different. This is something that you just don't see everywhere else. And I, and I think the other thing that makes the Cardinals unique, I, I think the Cardinals Hall of Fame has been really a neat addition. It's I, amazing. I, yeah. And I think that's something that's not lost to me. For instance, uh, recording the other day and some guys – with different places, um, depending on the Hall of Fame, don't like to say they're a Hall of Famer. Like, unless they're a baseball Hall of Famer, they don't want to say, well, I'm not a, you know, Cardinal Hall of Famer or a Chicago Bears Hall, whatever. I don't, you know, just if you're not in the official Hall of Fame. And I said to Chris Carpenter, I said, on this spot, would you mind saying this is Cardinals Hall of Famer Chris Carpenter? And it got all of our attention. He goes, yeah, I'm going to say it. He said it like that. And I said, awesome. And when, when he left, everybody's like, man, he's really proud of it. And I said, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. So um, those kind of things get your attention. The history, the longevity of the franchise, and the fact that we have so many of these living baseball Hall of Famers and Cardinal Hall of Famers that come back and the great moments that they're a part of, that's when you go, this is pretty cool. Chris Carpenter, he's such a gentle guy when you talk to him now. Now. <laughs> I, I would have never thought that when you, you know, you watch him in those, those famous games, especially in 11. What was he like as a player? <laughs> Very intense. It, 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 he was like what you thought he might be like. Uh, I had a really good relationship with Chris in the fact that uh, at the time when he was living here, his family was here. Our kids were about the same age and they were going to the same school. So I would see Chris at different events and chit chat with him and um, and got to to know him on a personal level. So he was always really good with me. Uh, but I'll tell you this, I don't care how close I was to him on every fifth day when he was ready to pitch. I didn't want to be around him. I mean, he was just one intense dude. And uh, he's one of those guys I was saying the other day to him, I said, man, any chance you could just squeeze out an inning or two? And he's like, man, I no way. I'm done, done, done. My body won't do it. He is one of those guys when they say, did you squeeze everything out of what you had in your body? He's the guy that you go, yeah, he did. I mean, he just he got everything he could out of it. 
Um, and to be around him and to see how special he was was really neat. You've now been part of one of just the golden eras, not just yes. in Cardinal history, but, I mean, baseball history. So Carp Right is, place, right time. Yeah, Carp <laughs> has got to be one of them. But any other favorites? I'm sure there's a lot that you've covered along the way. Absolutely. I mean, you get to know these guys on a personal level, you know. So um, Matt Holiday was one of my favorites that uh, I ever got to deal with. And, and I saw him a lot behind the scenes in some of his charitable works and uh, was at functions that he was at. So, I mean, seeing the other side, like I knew the other side of him. Um, and I really enjoyed that. I absolutely love being around Skip Schumacher. He was one of my favorites, all-time favorites. I would love to see him back involved in the organization someday if, if that ever happens. And I'm sure the door is open for him if he ever – uh, wants to come back. I, I really enjoyed being around Mark McGuire, even in 98 when everybody's pulling at him and all that stuff. Um, I was doing play-by-play in 99, and, and he hit 65 that year, and, you know, he was, like, traveling with the Beatles, and it was crazy. You'd show up at hotels, and you'd have to go through the back doors and stuff like that, but he was always really gracious to me, even though I know he was getting pulled at uh, every which way. I, it may shock people, but I loved being around Tony La Russa. Tony La Russa was very, very helpful to me and still is to this day. If I have questions, I can text him or call him. Uh, we talk uh, when I, when he's in town. And um, he did something for me that I'll never forget. I was a young broadcaster, and the clubhouse would be closed. And we, I'd only do this usually on the road, but he would tell the attendant, let Dan in uh, if he comes here. And I'd get to the ballpark really early. I'd get there like, you know, 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon for a 7 o'clock game on the road. And I would just sit in his office and watch him make his lineup and ask him questions. Why, why are you doing this? And he would explain it to me. And, you know, I just – I'm very thankful for that. And one of the best pieces of memorabilia I have, I think it was when um, he set the all-time uh, wins record in Cardinals history, and it said something like – and I'm – kind of paraphrasing here but to Dan uh you know a game that we both love and I love your passion for the game you know something like that you know your friend Tony La Russa um and it but it was longer than that it was more heartfelt but you know you just appreciate that um a guy like Brendan Ryan is as crazy as he could be sometimes was really a good guy uh Matt Adams was a great guy uh those are the kind of guys Jason Mott now back in St. Louis in the organization really good person so you know when you get around really good guys you you tend to really pull for him, too. You mentioned Matt Holiday, and we all remember that call of that home run. Uh, you know, the, the wrist was still messed up. Yeah. And I, I've heard other people say it, too. There seemed to be a lot of passion for you in that call. Just what, what were you thinking, or what did that mean to you to see him do that? Because it sounds like you did have a really good personal connection. I got goosebumps uh, thinking, thinking about me it. Me, too. <laughs> um, he, we, those of us that were around the club at that time knew – he was not coming back. It, w- it was not made public yet. They hadn't come out and said, hey, we're not going to pick up his option. He will become a free agent. And if he does become a free agent, if and when, uh, we don't have interest. We, Those of us around the club that are traveling and whatnot, and I think I had gotten it from Matt that he had told me that they were not going to exercise that, um, knew that he wasn't coming back. So we, we had the final weekend, and I knew that they were trying to find a way to get him into a game. One way or another, whether it be he would, you know, some guy would uh, walk and he'd go out and pinch run for him just to get an ovation and then, you know, whatever, or have him go out to left and then have him come back in, whatever. And here he is, like, going up to taking it bad. And I remember saying with tears in his eyes, I remember seeing we had a real close shot of him and he had tears in his eyes. Um, 
and I, I was just thinking, man, the emotions of that, because I, I know the Cardinals were very special to him. It was, it was a right – he was the right guy, right time, both ends, right place. He was the perfect fit for the club, and the club was the perfect fit for him. And, uh, and he had done so much in the community that I knew that a lot of people didn't know about, and I'm not going to talk about it here. That's not the place. But I, he, he was invested in the community. So I, I knew it, was, it meant a lot for him to wear that uniform. He didn't take it lightly. And then he hits that home run, and I was like, gosh, this is, this is, you know, you talk about great sports moments and what they mean and why some resonate with people. That one was awesome. I mean, and I still, it's my favorite call I've ever made. Um, it's, and it's because of all those things. I mean, I was just so happy for him and to go out like that. And then, by the way, the next day he hit again and got a base hit. So really it wasn't his final at bat. But uh, in what could have been his final at bat, it was, it was awesome. The business side of the game is often so hard for fans, but for somebody like you who's been on the inside for so long, does that ever get easier? The business has been real good to me. I'm happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> but when a, uh, you know, when a guy is, is not back with the team, does that, yeah. that's got to be hard because you form that personal connection. And, and you know, I mean, I know that it's never personal when the organization doesn't bring someone in, but what's that like for you when all of a sudden your friend is no longer there? Um, I, you know, to me, I, I don't worry about it. It's a business, you know, and the players know that. I, I think they figure it out very quickly when they get in professional baseball, not when they get to the major leagues, but in pro ball, because there's examples all over the place of, and I'm not talking about the Cardinals, but I mean in general, in all of sports where guys may have incentives in their contract and all of a sudden they don't play the final two weeks so they don't make those incentives you know things of that nature so I think everybody goes in with the idea that they they know it's a business and handle it as such and I, I would think if I'm John Mosaylock or people in the front office I wouldn't allow myself to get too close to a player because then I think it could you know cloud your judgment but for guys like us in the way excuse me I look at it is that you know what guys are here they come and go uh, and it's a rough statement. I was here before him, and I'll be here after him. At least I'd like to think that. And it's just the way it is. Business is business. You've really embraced social media, especially Twitter, yeah. which is fun for the fans because they. Get, I hope they enjoy it. I don't I, know. If I they think do. you know. I think they do. I enjoy it. Good. <laughs> Why has that been important to you to kind of bring everyone in in that way? Well, I decided to do it to show a different side of me. And most people that know me that are around me. And those that I work with will, will tell you I'm, I'm very, very sarcastic, very dry sense of humor. And so I'm always cracking jokes, whether it be on myself, other people, you know, just, just to try to lighten it up. It's a long year, make it fun. And, and so I said, you know what? One day I was at spring training and I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do this. And I think my first tweet was high. You know, and somebody like saw it and they're like, is this you? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, no way. I'm like, yeah. And then I, the other reason I did it is that I do a golf tournament and I do a lot of events in St. Louis, charitable events. And I thought, you know what, this may be a great way to expose those to get people to participate. And so it worked. I mean, I get a lot of people that come out to my golf tournament that uh, has raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions actually now for kids that need it. Like, you know, come on out and support it. This is what it's about. Let me show you. Here's pictures, here's video, whatever. And so to be able to do that and expose it, that's why I did it. So one was to I guess kind of self-serving to show a goofy side of me and have fun with it. And hopefully anybody that's following it understands that I'm just sarcastic. It's not like sometimes I put out, you know, pro athletes will gather tonight at seven o'clock and have fierce competition in baseball, whatever. I mean, something stupid. 
And they're like, what is your problem? You know, like, why are you writing? It's a joke. I'm just joking. It's okay. Um, so hopefully people that follow it understand it's just sarcastic. And um, But I do put some info on there that can be pertinent, too. So I, I do it both ways. You're talking about your golf tournament and the, the kids that it benefits. How did that kind of become your specific passion within charity work? I have a, a friend of mine that... Um, works at Fox Sports Midwest and his daughter with special needs. And we actually were going on a sales call one day and he was in tears. And I said, why are you, what, what's wrong with you? You know, why are you crying? And he's like, Oh, my daughter, Caroline, you know, needs this, this, and this, and this. And he makes uh, an okay living, but not a great living. And if you, depending on where you're at on the, uh, how much money you make is how much money you can get back to you and help you in the specialization of, of what she dealt with. And so it, the bottom line is it becomes very, very expensive for kids with special needs, depending, and there's all kinds of, man, things that uh, knock on wood and thank God my kids are healthy and, and I pray every day that it stays that way, but you realize like how lucky you are. And so he said, I can't afford to do this, that, and the other. And I said, you know, that that's not right. And it's not right for other people too that um, that are in your situation. So I walked into the board of the Special Education Foundation. Their motto is, when the tax dollars stop, we step in. So if a kid needs a hearing aid and they can't afford it, we write a check, buy them a hearing aid, boom, because kids grow. Uh, wheelchairs. Uh, we've redone classrooms. We've done special computers for kids that have learning disabilities. I mean, you name it, we do it. And so I told them in this board moon, uh, meeting, I said, look, and they all looked at me like I had eight heads. They had never done it, and they had no idea about golf tournaments and stuff. I said, I will get you the players. I'll get you the sponsorships. I'm going to make you a lot of money, but you have to make sure that 100% of this goes to kids. So I don't want any money going to a board member to get paid. You can figure out other ways to do that. You know, I, I realize it's a job for you guys, but none of this money can, can do that. So I see a spreadsheet every year, 100% of where the money goes. And it's done over $3 million in, for kids and special needs, and I'm really proud of it. It's something I, I take very seriously. Baseball is such a unique sport to call because of the pace, and I think that the fan at home probably doesn't really realize that. And you've started doing some basketball again too, which has yeah. been fun. Is that tough to go from basketball where your you know, ball comes up the floor, basket, giving it to the analyst quickly, and then you get it right back, and all of a sudden here as we start games again, now you've got to get into that kind of storytelling mode. No, not at all. Yeah, I'm used to it now. I've called thousands of games, so I it's not – um, it's not hard for me. I, you know, the, it's kind of funny. <clears throat> uh, I think about the first game and I make all these notes and do all this stuff to get ready for it. And I'm like, and I get there and I've got all the notes and I'm thankful I do them because it gets me back in the mindset of baseball. But after the first inning, I'm like, this is like riding a bike. What am I doing? You know what I mean? It, it's just fun. Uh, I enjoy it. I work with great people. Um, and people ask me, well, what's the hardest thing to call? Spring training is pretty hard because you can't figure out half the time who the people are. They make about 10 changes every inning, and I'm like, I have no idea who's out there. So I'm like, ah, fly ball to the right fielder, uh, <laughs> and he makes the catch, and uh, okay, we're off and running. You know, you just try to figure it out as you go. But uh, I really I, I love spring training too because I like to see the young players. You've gone back and forth, like you said, between radio and TV, too. And those are so different as well, because on radio, obviously, nobody can see. And no one's in my ear. Nobody's in your ear. Right. So now I'm sure you're you're used to it. But what was that like when you first made that transition? Well, it's different because TV, you do have a lot of people in your ear, and you have a lot of directions to go. So while 
we get frustrated all the time where we want to tell more stories, but we run out of time because we have to go to a promo or, uh, you know, hey, read this, do that, do this. Hey, we got to make sure and talk about this guy because we forgot to do that. And we said we're going to do, you know, it's it's a collective effort to try to make it go. And I think people, if they ever win the truck, they would see the television truck, how talented these men and women are. I mean, they're they're incredibly talented. And it's unfortunate that we're me. I'm the one that gets credit good and bad when things go wrong. But really, it's collective. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on with that. We're radio you know, you get behind the mic and you paint the picture you want to paint. You know, you talk about what you want to talk about. If you want to keep talking about Dexter Fowler and how he catches a fly ball, you just keep on going. Where in TV, they'll tell you, hey, you got to stop. You know, we got we to gotta go to this. You know, we got to go to that. So it's always changing. It's always, you know, as a collective effort. If Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot more moving pieces. Yeah, absolutely. With television. That truck is amazing, too. I, I got is. to go in there last year. And it's how many people are even in there. I, I didn't realize how many people make that broadcast happen until it's I countless. saw it. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, you think about it for anybody listening to this. So think about if we go to, um, you know, Johnny's bobblehead night. OK, coming up on Sunday, June 3rd, whatever. And to get that on the air, you've got a producer who has to tell the director, hey, after this pitch, we're going to go to that. The director and the producer then have to get to the cameraman to say, you need to follow the ball, but quickly you need to give me a wide shot and wide enough for that I can fill in the graphic. Then the graphic guy, hey, call it up. Do you make sure you have it? Yeah, I got it. Okay, now hit it. Boom, 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 boom. That's just one shot on a game that you got to think about, and they're doing this all over the place and trying to you know, collect all the information, all the action, don't miss pitches. I mean, it's really hard. And and so those guys are and gals are incredible at what they do. They they really are. They're just amazing. You love it, but there's a lot of stuff going on there and there's 162 <laughs> games. Yeah. I'm sure fatigue at some point has to be a problem like the grind or do you not even deal with it? I love the grind of the baseball season. I actually think that's the beauty, one of the beauties of the sport. Like pace of play doesn't bother me. Because I don't see people, when I'm at the ballpark, complaining about pace of play. I see them going to get another beer and a nachos or a hot dog and a soda. And they're not complaining about it. They're not sitting there going, God, this thing is ever going to end. I think it's an issue on television to an extent. The game can get a little draggy. Um, but, you know, in terms of, of uh, you know, how we deliver it, it's very important that we try to keep people going. Keep them on the edge of their seat. So, uh, all those things in terms of getting worn down... I. I don't think you can be, and even if I am, and yes, do I get tired? Of course, just like anybody else. But I do believe that it is my responsibility that before that first pitch and whenever that happens, I better find a way to get ready to entertain people for three hours. I owe that to them, and I say this all the time, and I said it at the beginning of this. This is entertainment. There is some guy out there that's been tarring roofs and it's 100 degrees or laying gravel or doing a real job. And all he wants to do is come home, get in his lazy boy, open up a six-pack, and check out a little Cardinal baseball, right? So no matter how tired I am from the travel and all that stuff, and it's not, a, it's not like physically demanding. It is tiring, though, being on planes and late nights and all that stuff. But so what? You sign up for it, you give them the best you got. And if you got a pound eight glass of coffee like I do, well, then that's what you got to do. Do you have to think about when you have a different analyst and you have a few different guys that oh, will yeah. sit with you? Different guys probably have different strengths and different things that they bring. 
What's the process like for you as a play-by-play guy to make sure you're setting them up correctly? They're all different, and they're all from different eras. So um, if I'm with Tim McCarver, I'll probably go down memory lane a little bit more because I think he's a fabulous, unbelievable storyteller. The best. Yeah, and I, and I think he's the best that's ever done analyst work as a play-by or as a uh, analyst in baseball. I always refer to him as the John Madden of baseball. I, I think he's that good. Um, Ricky, I think people love talking about the '80s. I think. Whitey Ball and all those, the Pond Scum and the Mets, and I think it's great. So, I mean, I, I'll prepare a little bit differently for him. Al, same way. Um, and then Jimmy's more modern. So, and, and I say that, I mean, you know, Jimmy can go down and talk to Joe Madden and say, hey, what's on that card that you got there, and how does it pertain to the video you were watching? And, and he'll get that kind of stuff. And it's not to say we all can't, but those are the kind of strengths that they have. And so, Number one, never leave the focus of the game that's presently going on. But then, two, try to draw on all their experiences and expertise. I I worked at ESPN for a long time, Brett, and one of the great things that they taught me, they said, if you're a play-by-play guy, just call the play and shut up. Call a play, shut up, and then tee the guy up next to you. Tee him up. We want to hear from him. Let him describe why, the who, the what, the where, and why. You know, I mean, that there's a collaboration between the two, but when it comes to why, you shut up and let him do it. And that's what I try to do. I'll try to team up as much as I can. When you're talking baseball, you know, play-by-play guys are different, but most of they you are, really... It is a little different because you do get a little bit into the why, too. Yeah most, yeah, most of you guys really focus on that scorebook, and I've seen you before filling yours out. Are you a guy that's filling up every square inch of the margin? No. I, I actually, my scorebook is one I designed, and it's not even a book. It's actually just like kind of a big piece of paper, if you can imagine that, um, that gives me all the players, so all the bullpen guys, bench guys, umpires, where they're at in the field, and the lineup. And my lineup in my boxes includes the name, um, position they're playing, uh, and then your traditional stats of uh, average home runs, RBIs. I'll put stolen bases on a little separate area. Uh, and then if there's something interesting going on, I'll put it in their box, especially when the first time they come through. So Yadier Molina's coming up. He's got a 10-game hit streak. Or he is uh, 15 for 17 against this guy. Something that's kind of pertinent to that action. And then as the game goes on that first time through, I get into other things. But the first time through – Try to give just the standard stuff that's there. What makes TV play-by-play hard, and I'm unsure if you're going to go to this part of it, people say, well, you know, hockey must be the hardest, and this has got to be hard, and the blah, 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 blah. And I always tell them, remember, in baseball, it's not moving, and we're giving you everything. So we're giving you the outs. You can look on the screen. We're giving you uh, where they're at on the base. We're giving you the count. And we're giving you everything. So you got to fill in other things or at least try to to make it interesting or to add to what you're seeing on the screen. So if you're doing radio, you can say, well, the pitcher looks in, gets the sign, checks on the runner, comes set, here's a 3-2. I'm not going to do that on TV. So it's got to be different. So you're always trying to add different information if you can. In this present day and age, and you mentioned it earlier, I mean, you could spend forever in a day reading things, looking up stats, all these different things. So from the time you get up in the morning till you get at the ballpark, what's your process like in order just to kind of ingest what you need to? So at home, I got four little kids. I say little, they're getting older, 12, 10, and my twins just turned nine. Uh, They're busy. They're running around like banshees. I try to hang out with them as much as I can. 
by 10 o'clock, usually I'm on the internet doing something. I'm, I'm looking up what's happening. Uh, the opposing pitcher for sure. Uh, maybe his last five starts, what's going on with him, looking at background on him, digging up stuff. Uh, and by three o'clock, I'm down at the ballpark on the field, visiting with players, visiting with coaches, visiting with other broadcasters, whatever. Um, and then that takes me all the way up to about seven o'clock. And it's a combination in those four hours of visiting with people, writing your stats, maybe grabbing something to eat, um, maybe going to a speaking engagement. I do a lot of that stuff before games uh, at home on the road, a little bit different. Um, you know, hopefully I get to sleep in later than, you know, six or seven o'clock. Like at home, it's a little uh, rough with the little guys, but I like to get up with them. So sleep in a little bit more. Uh, maybe go play golf, which is kind of nice, or try to do something, go work out, go do something to get my mind off it. And then by, you know, noon, 12.30, myself and Jim Hayes uh, from Fox Sports Midwest, we go to the ballpark early, and especially with Tim McCarver, we usually leave by 1, 2 o'clock, and we're over at the ballpark. And I always say this with Tim, too, my favorite time to be with Tim, on the air is great, off the air is even better. And usually the three hours before the first pitch – it is so much fun. I mean, we get into everything, politics, relig- all the things you cannot talk about on the air. Or one of the, We get into that stuff and just start talking and, and telling stories and visiting with people. It's just it's awesome. What's the, the favorite story, you know, maybe he's told you just oh, because man. there's so much. I mean, he's, what, so many decades of just baseball, both as a broadcaster and a player. You separate those careers, and I mean, it'd be magnificent. But yeah. Together, it's it's mind blowing. Well, I'm not going to give you stories in terms of because I can't. This is a family <laughs> program, uh, but he had some great ones on Frank Sinatra and Don Rickles and appearances on the Tonight Show, where he'll tell you, "I was terrible. I did Letterman. I was terrible." You know, just the people that he's met. Um, and, and the people that he played with and against, I mean, people forget he played in so many decades, you know. I mean, here's a guy that, that played all the way up to 1980, you know. Um, the, the thing that's really interesting is how he got into broadcasting, which I find fascinating in this day and age. But he was doing the star of the game in his uniform as an active player. So he would go and visit with whomever – after the game and he's in full uniform doing the the interviews i mean i i think that's just fascinating and the fact that he was a roommate of bob euchers i mean just the stories with those guys i mean it's it's really cool i mean um one of the neatest things that we did last year was uh we went to san francisco and he says hey you want to meet willie mays i said yeah i'd love to meet willie mays you know sure maybe the greatest ball player ever and uh, he said, okay, let's go down. We're going to go see Murph, who was a clubhouse attendant for a long time and has worked, I think, specifically now for Mays. Like, if he's in there, he'll take care of him, whatever. And we go down there, and Willie Mays is just eating soup, and, and Willie doesn't see all that well, but he recognized Tim vo- Tim's voice, and he says, Tim, how you doing? And I remember the story that he told me. I said, what was like the, the first time I'm getting back to this? What, what was it like when Willie Mays, you're a young guy, and he digs into the box? He said, I, his nails, that's what he said to me right away. I recognized his nails. They were perfectly manicured, everything. And sure enough, we go to see Willie Mays in San Francisco last year, and I shake his hand, which is like shaking uh, a bear's hand. I mean, he's got strong, big hands. Shakes my hand, and we take pictures, and he signs balls for all of us. And he said, uh, and I said, Tim, look at his nails. He said, yep, perfect. 
they're still manicured. I mean, just who would think about that? You know, like Will, meeting Willie Mays with Tim McCarver, getting pictures and autographs and visiting with him and thinking about his who looks at another man's nails. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that's Tim McCarver in a nutshell. I like to always ask people who have been around the team for a while, but w- what's, I guess, maybe the enduring memory you have of Stan Musial or the first time you met him, whatever it might be, but your favorite Stan interaction? Well, a, a couple. Um, one would be that his grandson was, I was doing work for the Blues, looking for some jerseys to get signed uh, from uh, opposing players. And I think it was Mario Lemieux. And so I had gone through the Pittsburgh PR department. I had a connection with the guy there. And I said, hey, here's a Stan Musial jersey. Um, would Mario sign a jersey and, you know, do a swap? And he's absolutely, you know, boom, 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 signed it. So I was at my house. And I called Stan's grandson. I said, hey, I got that jersey for you. He goes, great, I'll, I'll come over and get it. I said, sure, come on over. And sure enough, he pulls into my house and in the car with him is Stan Musial. You know? And I'm like, how odd is it that this guy's in my driveway? You know, There's Stan <laughs> the man, went out, said hello. He's, he signed a Merry Christmas card for me. And you know, it, it was neat. And I also remember at the very end of his life, I went to Stan the Man, Inc. to do um, something on... Uh, doing a video for him I was going to create a video for their website and it may be the last time or one of the last times he ever played the harmonica and he I walked into to and he was feeling good that day and, and not all those days were, were great for him I know at the end he was he was struggling and uh he pulls out his uh harmonica and just started playing the harmonica and I just thought how sweet was that moment to see this great man this living legend and he was playing the harmonica harmonica for me and I, I thought that was just like Really cool. It, it just wasn't lost to me. I know some people are like, man, that's a. I just thought the moment was sweet. Here's this beautiful man, and uh, he he knew who I was, and he's playing the harmonica for me. How neat is that? And I thought that was really cool. You've had a career full of moments like that, and just every day getting up to go to the ballpark, be a part of Cardinal history. So just in closing, when is there a time every day or a place you go that? you really reflect and kind of think about, okay, this is cool, and let me reset on the fact that I get to do this for a living. A couple times uh, every day. One would be when I was telling you earlier, I put on my headset and I look out, and, I, and I'm like, this is still fun. This is still not a job. Um, I'm still enjoying it. I'm still grasping uh, the importance of the job and what it means to me, and, and this is really neat. So I, I do think of it then. And we have a couch in our um, in our booth in St. Louis, and I actually will lay down on the couch sometimes right before the first pitch. A lot of times we'll tape and open, and it, it'll give me like 10 or 15 minutes just to kind of, you know, do one of those. And I'll sit back there, and, and we'll be talking, or sometimes we don't. I close my eyes, and the pregame show's on, and I'm like, this is – this is cool. You know, it's kind of a, a, a neat way to reflect and just gather my thoughts. But I I still enjoy it, Brett. I mean, I still really think it's a neat job. And the players do come and go, and the game does change, and people talk about the business side and the money and all those things. And I, I get it. It's all part of it. But it's still something that I love. And I always tell young people this when I go speak to colleges or high schools. You better find something that you, you enjoy because – when you're when you're out of college or out of high school and you got to go work you know you're probably going to do that for a long time you know 30 40 50 years maybe your entire life you better find something you enjoy and by god man i've i found the greatest job i could ever ask for it's it's been everything i thought it might be and 
take that times a million. It's been even better. Dan, it's a pleasure listening to you. It's been a pleasure talking. We uh, appreciate your time today. I'm glad to uh, put you to sleep. Dan will be on the call, as always, on Wednesday, June the 13th. That is Star Wars Night at Bush Stadium. Fans purchasing a special theme ticket will receive their own Star Wars-inspired Cardinals jersey featuring the birds on a lightsaber. Get your Star Wars Night tickets at cardinals.com theme. That has been a popular one in the past. I know that the folks who are both Cardinal fans and Star Wars fans really enjoy that. Again, get your tickets so you can make sure to get that special T-shirt over to cardinals.com slash theme. I have just so enjoyed getting to know Dan. He is a professional. He never steps on the moment. I mean, he nails every call. We are privileged to have him here in St. Louis. And since I started working for the club, I've really gotten to learn, too, that uh, he's just a quality gentleman as well. He does a lot for the community. Some of it are is things that you, frankly, don't hear about because that's the way I think he likes it. Um, but he's got a great heart, and he's a great asset both to the organization and to the St. Louis region. So big thanks to Dan for joining us on the podcast. It's also been fun to have him contributing to Cardinals Insider TV. If you want to check out his stories or any of the stories from the show, head to cardinals.com video, or you can see where you can watch locally. If you get the Cardinal games on TV, it means that you are getting Cardinals Insider somewhere that you can pick it up. Head to cardinals.com insider to figure out where to watch. Next week, Brian Jordan joins the show. Two-sport athlete, played for the Atlanta Falcons and played baseball. We talked that over with him. He was in town for a Bud Bash recently. I really, really had a great time getting to know Brian. Fun, gregarious. Uh, the, the conversation we got to have was awesome. We'll bring it to you on next week's episode. We are out every Tuesday by the time that you drive home as a, a rough estimate. If you want to get involved with the show, you can subscribe or you can also download, uh, listen, rate, review. We appreciate all of that. Search Cardinals Insider on iTunes or head to cardinals.com slash podcast. You can check out past episodes there as well and get the new ones each and every week during the baseball season. Last but certainly not least, podcast with an S at cardinals.com. Email me. I love to hear from you if there's something you'd like to see in the show, something you want to make sure we keep doing, something you'd like us to do more of. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's a program for you. So let me know. Podcast at cardinals.com is the way to get in touch. Thanks again to Dan McLaughlin for him. I'm Brett McMillan. We'll talk to you next week on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.